Welcome to Walk With Us, a series of podcast episodes to offer a greater appreciation of the little things in life. Within Walk With Us, Peroni Nastro Azzurro are inviting all to walk the Italian way with confidence and style. In Italy, this ritual is called La Passeggiata, a moment to express yourself, time to connect with those that matter, and to show their true style to the world. In Italy, they say, vita con stile, live in style. I'm Nick Carvel, a menswear writer who has contributed to various titles, including GQ, Gentleman's Journal, and Mr. Porter. And I've always been passionate about men's style and grooming. I'm based in London, more specifically, Camberwell. Today, I will be taking you on my passeggiata. So yeah, this way. Style to me is ultimately feeling comfortable and confident with what you're wearing. Um, I think throughout history, when you look at people that other people say are stylish, the thing that kind of unites them is not what they're wearing, but it's how you how they're wearing it. Ultimately, like if you feel comfortable in what you're wearing, you're going to be the best version of yourself in real life. I guess true style for me is style that transcends the kind of time that it's being seen in. Um, you know, there are so many decades that get a really bad rep in pop culture for being completely unstylish, and these change as time goes on. But there are still people in those decades that you look at and you're like, wow, the fashion was crazy in the 80s, but this person still managed to look good throughout it. Um, and I think that's what style is. It's if it can come through what all the fashion is at that time, it can break through the trends that sort of people are trying to stick to. My, my ultimate style icons that I tend to put lots of like vintage shots of on my Instagram are either Paul Newman, who I really don't think you can beat at all. If I could dress like him every single day, I absolutely would. Um, and it's like Harrison Ford from the 1970s is, again, unbeatable in my eyes. When it comes to Italian style icons, I find it's hard to beat Luca Rubinacci. He just gets that smart, casual vibe where he's wearing a suit, but he doesn't look like he's dressed up. Um, he pushes boundaries. He wears bright colors. He just looks fantastic. Um, and yeah, if I could copy him, I, I absolutely would. So the thing that's great about Italian style is that both Britain and Italy have a long history uh, with making suits. Um, but I think in Britain, suits are still seen as a very formal thing. And the thing that I really like about Italy and the way that Italian men wear suits is they're often kind of an everyday thing. Like, they can be casual, they can be formal. They will happily wear them with a pair of trainers and a T-shirt, which still over here hasn't quite got to that point yet. And historically in Italy, because the suit is such a mainstay of menswear, it's kind of used a lot more and a lot more casually than it is over here. And that's what I think is great about Italian style. So sprezzatura, to my mind, um, is the Italian way of wearing something so it doesn't look considered. So it's often a little sort of you know, wink in an outfit um, that says, I don't really think about what I wear, but I look great. Um, and I think the, the king of that is always seen as Gianni Agnelli, um, who famously used to wear, he used to get his, um, he used to wear his watch over his 
shirt cuffs. Um, but now it can be like, if you look at Italian street style, especially from places like Pitti Woma, you can kind of pick up the cues. So you have uh, like a guy will be walking on who wearing a, a button down shirt with a tie on, but he won't have the buttons done on his shirt because that will be his sprezzatura, his little nod to being a bit more casual, being a bit sort of, I hate to use the word quirky, but quirky. Um, but also it goes into so many other things, like you'll see Italian men wearing their tie um, with the thinner side on the front instead of, or the thinner side longer than the sort of fatter front side, or, you know, uh, leaving one of their straps on their double monk straps undone. It's all of that that's, it's great. It's it's what I was saying before, it's suiting, but it has some humour, it has some some casualness to it and it's uh it's just really refreshing and you know it can be taken to extremes there are some like crazy shots from pity womo for pity peacocks and but uh you know it's just it's just kind of refreshing when you come from a very sort of buttoned up culture as we have here in britain to see that pity womo is a uh, it's wild i've been really lucky to visit italy a number of times for my career um but when you go out there for things like Fashion Week, you sort of live in a bit of a fake world because you're getting in the back of a van and going from show to show to show to show to then going to something in the evening to then going to bed. So you do see a part of Italian life throughout, but you don't really experience it in, in a sort of natural way. Um, but my husband and I went to Italy for our honeymoon um, for three weeks and traveled all around from Naples down uh, to the south to Pompeii and uh, then up to Venice on the other, so Puglia and then Venice. And so on that we got to see a lot of actual Italian life and to, to live it in that way as well because we were there for three weeks. And the thing that's so notable about Italian, the Italian way of life is that they just get the balance of it so much better than we do over here, certainly in London. Um, the fact that you have these little rituals, like that people gather in the morning and meet up and have a chat at the local coffee shop over an espresso where they're just standing at the bar, even if it is for like 20 minutes to catch up on the day. Whereas, you know, the start of my day will be like, read Twitter, read the news, get stressed out, try and have a coffee, then try and concentrate on work. And it's just, and also not see a huge amount of people. Um, so the fact that there are moments in the day that are crafted around being social in Italy, I think is something they've got really right and something that feels very different to the British way of life. Um, so yeah, from my favourite things about the Italian tradition are coffee in the morning and then aperitivo hour at like six in the evening um, and then seeing where the evening takes you. Um, so my passeggiata has become incredibly important because that's my social interaction for the day. One of the reasons I love Italy is because basically just put me down anywhere in Italy and I'll be happy. It's one of those places where there will always be a great coffee shop wherever you are. There will always be a place where you can get amazing food. But if you're, you're pushing me, Sorrento, where I went on our honeymoon, was particularly special for me. Not only did we stay in this absolutely amazing hotel, which was called Maison La Minavetta, um, which was beautiful and looked out over the 
Bay of Naples down to Pompeii and Vesuvius in the distance. Um, but you could just travel so many places from there as well. So you could get the, you know, the train back to Naples and Pompeii, or you could get on very questionable buses out to like where they make all the ceramics in the countryside and down along the coast. And the food there was incredible. Sorrento is beautiful. Also, Pompeii is just a, one of the most mind-blowing places I've been to. But that is what's always in Italy. Like, everywhere is mind-blowing in its own way. I mean, Venice, where we ended up as well, is just one of those places that it's so crazy that it exists now when you get used to seeing that there's no like roads there and it's in the middle of a lagoon. And you think, like, if it's so crazy and inspirational now, what it must have been like in the sort of 15th and 16th centuries when people must have been there. Like, you can see why it became such an amazing, rich, historically important, culturally important place. I think I've always enjoyed the uh, Italian art of La Passeggiata even before I knew that it was really called that. <laughs> I've always been a big fan of... I've always been a big fan of walking. I think that is the beauty of living in London is that most of the time I'd rather walk somewhere than actually get public transport to it, even if, you know, from Camberwell to the centre of town is an hour and a half's walk, and I'd much rather do that than, than get on the tube there because there's always something to discover and see on the way. Having a dog, I don't think I really have solo walks anymore. Like, the dog is, is always there. I very much enjoy going for a walk with my husband um, because it's just nice at the end of the day to put a full stop, especially for me as a freelancer, putting a full stop to my working day and getting into the evening. Like getting out of the house is a really important thing to do because it, it really helps differentiate those two parts of my life. But I am an only child, and so if I'm, you know, travelling somewhere on my own, I will happily go out for a walk around the city on my own at night. Um, I will happily go and eat dinner on my own. Um, I do enjoy that as well. But I would never leave, like, my dog and my husband at the house and go for a walk on my own. I think I'd always take them with me. I don't necessarily see a connection between the catwalk and my passagiatas particularly, especially if it's me walking the dog in the evening. But, you know, when you're out and about in the centre of town, there is very much, especially on, like, you know, a Friday night or at the weekend, when people actually do get dressed up, that, I think, does come through in how people treat being out for a walk in the summer. There is definitely a, you know, especially over the past few months as well, people have treated it as more of an exciting event than it used to be going out. With Camberwell, where we have so many places to get a drink and stand on the street or places to get takeaway food and go to the park, you can kind of make a night of it by just walking around the local area. And I think people get dressed up for that. So yeah, I definitely do see a, a, co a correlation between those things. Obviously, if you're talking about Italy, it's nothing on the stage of Italy where because their cities are all streets generally like yeah every street over in italy is a is a catwalk i mean i can only speak for myself but th the one thing that i would say is never ever if you're thinking of dressing up never wear a pair of new shoes to go and do a walk-in like there's always a really poor idea other than that i think that's the only tip i have i suppose so we're now on the way to the flax uh, clothing hq which is down here in Vanguard Court in Camberwell, which is uh, a lot of old uh, 
industrial warehouses that has been converted into a lot of smaller studios for uh, cool kind of smaller businesses um, like there's a stone cutters in here and, and things like that um, I got to know George and Callum who founded Flax basically because I followed them on Instagram and we got chatting and then they invited me to come down and see their new collection um, and I realised it was around the corner from me so it was incredibly handy and um, it's you know they have really good uh, really good coffee and refreshments here so I don't need telling twice to come down really Hello, how are you doing? How's it going? Nice to see you again. Yeah, good. Good to how see you, you too. Hi. Hi, guys. So we're here in the Flax London HQ studio, probably in the place that has the best acoustics because it's covered in linen shirts on one wall. Um, obviously, that is um, the reason that I became interested in your brand is that you are uh, so focused on making... Uh, a singular product really, really well, and you're branching out from that now into a few more products in the linen world. Yeah. Um, and that's even before we get into, you know, your your uh, sustainability. Mm. I, I remember George uh, first pitched the idea of starting a clothing brand. Um, I was working in comms at the time, and I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. Didn't really think much of it. And then two weeks later, sends another email saying, mate, in all seriousness, I think we should do this. And, yeah, it sort of snowballed quite quickly from yeah. there. The, fir the first kind of big step was um, we found out that the London Textile Show was in town just very shortly, kind of a couple of months after this idea had first emerged. And we looked into it. It was completely free to go. We hadn't really got a name for our brand yet, but you had to go as a representative of a brand. So Flax London was kind of an idea and we arrived as kind of like Flax London buyers, the badges on our thing, really sheepish, you know, all of these textile merchants looking at us, seeing us a mile off and being like, those guys have got no money behind them. <laughs> and then we found um, Bear McNutt, an, an Irish linen mill that we still use for all our heavier fabrics, and sort of very nervously approached them, sat down, and that it kind of really kicked things off. You know, we found this heavier shirting fabric. Um, well, not shirting fabric, fabric used typically for trousers and suits. And yeah, that became the, you know, the, the initial kind of inspiration to be like, okay, we found this fabric. Let's go and let's kind of go and do something with it now. Yeah, I, I remember we asked them, can we have a look at your shirting linen? And they said, uh, yeah, sure, it's here. And said, no, no, we want heavier. And they're like, well, this is, this is as heavy as the shirting goes. And we sort of flicking through ourselves and, came across the linen that's now sort of become our signature thing. Uh, and they were like, no, but this is, this is suiting linen. Can't, can't use this for a shirt. Well, can we try? And they're like, okay, you can try. And then sure enough, made a shirt. We, we loved it, showed it to them. They loved it. And we've made probably, what, a thousand shirts of the same material mm. now. Obviously, there's a lot of talk at the moment with sustainability and fashion about materials. And that is great that that mm. is happening as a conversation. But... The thing that I think is really great about Flax is that you think about aftercare as well. It's all about how that product lasts and how it's going to be something you can own for many years to come. So, yeah, could you talk a bit about your sustainability for us? Well, just tying that into the point you made before about designing clothes for, or linen, specifically linen clothing, for the 
autumn and winter as well as the summer, that, you know, it's inherently sustainable qualities is what kind of drives our, um, our creativity in terms of, you know, designing clothes that can be much, much more versatile. Um, and that's why, you know, we're, we're, we're very much saying to people, don't wear this linen shirt instead of this linen shirt. We're saying wear this linen shirt instead of that cotton one. But whereas in the past, people would have said, we, well, I don't want to wear it instead of this cotton one because I wear this cotton one in the winter and that's why I wear my summer holidays. You know, we've challenged that idea and said, well, actually, this is, this is a shirt you can wear in the winter. So that, that kind of, that, you know, that's the, probably the cornerstone of why we're such a sustainable brand is we use that fabric. And, and, and just very briefly, uh, linen is inherently more sustainable than something like cotton, uh, because it uses far less water. Yeah. Um, the linen we use, uh, the flax is all grown in northern Europe where the natural rain, rainwater is enough. Um, it has fewer natural enemies, so there's less herbicides, pesticides used. Um, and then also every part of the flax plant is used. So there's zero waste from a, from a crop perspective. Um, so that as, as a starting point, that is our sort of foundation of sustainability. So what is the, what is the goal with flax? You're obviously thinking about launching a new product at some point soon. Um, do you envisage growing the company in a sort of small way like that? Our, I mean, our end goal, to give you some kind of perspective, is to is to own linen and to get as many people, men and women, ultimately wearing uh, as much linen as much of the time. That is, you know, and we'll take that as far as we possibly can. And if it means, you know, hundreds of millions of people worldwide wearing linen when they used to be wearing cotton, um, then that's kind of mission accomplished. But yeah, as you said, that's 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 the kind of vision that we we kind of that we ultimately work towards. And at the moment, that's, you know, releasing a new product every season. So expanding our kind of way through the wardrobe, looking at women's wear next year. Cool. Thanks very much. We're now walking down Camberwell Church Street towards Offcut Barbers. Um, I've been really lucky in my career that I've got to go around and review a lot of barbershops and meet a lot of people who cut hair. But of course, the thing with uh, getting your hair cut is that once you find somebody that understands your hair and knows what looks good, you kind of stick with them. So when Offcut uh, opened here in Camberwell uh, a couple of years ago, um, I was really glad to find out that the barber there, John, uh, really understood kind of what made me look good and what made me feel confident and it's just a pleasure to go down there and hang out with him even if i'm not getting my haircut at the time so we're here at offcut now with john who's the co-founder and one of the barbers here um when did you open up offcut we opened in september 2018 um so after a little brief time of me looking around other areas scoping out i live in southeast london as well uh I just wanted an area that was kind of like up and coming without being too kind of naff. And I found this spot on the corner and uh, yeah, it's been good. So yeah, we opened the doors in 1st of October, 2018. Like with anyone that starts their own thing, I just, I just tried to make it what I would like to come to. Like I want it to be quite cool, but not pretentious. You know, we want to have like an everyone's welcome kind of thing. We give people beers, we give people coffee, you know, we have a lot of our clients will come and just say hi when they're walking past and stuff. So I just wanted to make something, I think a barbershop is a community hub. So 
yeah, it was mainly approachable, but still, you know, what I think's cool. <laughs> Have you ever been given any particularly good grooming advice and who gave it to you? So the best piece of grooming advice I've been given as far as f for hair care would be to use the right type of product for your hair type and your hair length. So if you've got thick hair, if you've got long hair, you want to avoid words like putty and cement and clay and all of those things that would suggest that it's going to thicken your hair. Whereas if you have hair like mine, you know, not the thickest hair in the world, I would use a powder or like something matte based because it would make, you know, make my hair appear thicker. So I guess, yeah, ask your barber what the best type of product is for your hair. So like yourself, a salt spray, a light wax or a cream, something like that, so you can still run your hands through it. Because the worst thing is, if you've got long hair, you want to run your hand through it. If you've got clay in it, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's no, that's no fun for anyone. What do you think is a really great grooming product that guys don't use that probably you would recommend them to use? Because I always say that, it's funny you mention like powder, because yeah. I always say that to everyone, because I use powder in my hair, because it has like no volume at all. Yeah, so the best hair products I would suggest, like you said, is powder. It's something that's not that well known about, but it's really low maintenance. As long as your hair's dry, you can just sprinkle it in. It works with slightly longer hair, it works with short hair if you want that choppy kind of textured look. So as far as low maintenance, easy to use, not that expensive, makes your hair look super cool, I would say powder is probably a really good all-round product. Speaking of Italian stuff as well, um, one of my things that I think Italians get really right about grooming um, that I don't think British men have got onto as much is having really regular manicures. It's one of the things that whenever I've been over there, I've always you always see guys getting manicures and they always have really, really nicely, nicely manicured hands. Um, is there anything that you've taken throughout your career from the Italian way of getting groomed at all? I mean, I haven't ever had a manicure. Um, I'm definitely open to it. I painted the shop yesterday, so maybe I could do with one. But uh, I really like Italian fashion, you know, with pity and things like that. For those kind of two weeks a year or whatever it is, twice a year, my Instagram is flooded with Italian styling. So for me, the grooming side of it, I'm not sure. But as far as kind of fashion and style in general, I really like the kind of, you know, I really like high-waisted trousers. And, you know, I, I think, I think they do tailoring in a really cool way that I, I you know, I, you know, I've my, often lied to girls in my life, sorry, like, that I'm half Italian or something because I'm dark-skinned and dark hair. So, you know, there's definitely, they've definitely got a cool factor in, in Italy that I think, I think we could all learn a thing or two from. One of the great things about living here is there's a coffee shop pretty much at the end of every one of my roads which wasn't the case four years ago. So I'm very glad that, as a freelancer, I'm very glad that that's uh, a thing now. <laughs> I can just go to a different coffee shop every single day. The first place we're going to is Lumberjack, which is a coffee shop that I think must have opened around the time that I moved to the area. Um, and what's kind of great about it is that they have made it a part of their mission to help uh, give uh, young disadvantaged people a helping hand getting into the job market and learning skills. So it's just a really great place to be able to support by doing something I love, which is going and get coffee. <laughs> Depending on what time I'm starting my pastiata, a coffee is, I would say, a pretty 
solid start to it. During the summer, I like to try and pretend that uh, Camberwell is LA, so I tend to get an iced coffee from, from Lumberjack. But when, uh, when it's typically British weather here, I tend to start off with a dry cappuccino when I'm going out, uh, which is kind of my daily Italian nod. I just find Italian cappuccinos much better. Coffee culture in Italy is very different to coffee culture here in the UK. Um, in the fact that, A, I think there is more coffee in their lives, like they will have multiple coffees in a day, which I think, even for me, like I don't tend to have multiple coffees out in a day, like I will have one in the, in the mid-morning probably after I've done my first lot of sending back emails. The thing that's different in Italy often is that their morning coffee is go to a place, have a catch-up, knock an espresso back, go. Whereas coffee for me, because it's always been something that's kind of a treat to go out, it's a luxury to go out and get a, get a really nice coffee, um, is that I want to kind of enjoy it. So I prefer sitting in, enjoying it, often on my own, often sort of, this is where I would come to write a lot of articles as well. But from that, from that angle, coffee culture feels very different still in both our countries. Um, it's, it's more the social element of catching up and a coffee at a coffee place facilitates it standing up at a bar. Whereas here, it's still, for me, certainly more about actually enjoying the coffee and maybe actually spending some time on my own. It's quite Italian sitting here under the vines, isn't it? So when did you open Lumberjack? We opened Lumberjack four years ago. Now you're saying that I need to work backwards and work out when that was, but in January it was four years. So you founded the charity behind this, mm -hmm. but the co how did the coffee shop then come about? It was a, a chance thing, really. Um, we'd been running London Reclaimed, um, the youth employment charity, since 2011. And then about four and a half years ago, I'd seen this building had been empty for about a year. So I just thought to myself, it's prime location, it's right in the heart of Camberwell. At the time, our furniture company was in Camberwell as well. That's moved to Bermondsey now. And even now you're doing more than just making cups of coffee here. You frequently have workshops. You have this amazing space out the back where you're growing a lot of produce. Yeah, yeah. We've, we, I didn't want to just run a cafe. Um, you know, I wanted to be a hub for the community. So what we've done is we're providing space for the local art colleges to display their work. We we've often kind of turned down um, better kind of paid displays just to give the locals, local students a chance to display their own work. We've done lots of different open mic nights. And there's, for, for me, a cafe like this only works when you're, when you're engaging with a wide range of society. And Camberwell is such a mix of people from kind of professionals, students, um, right the way th kind of through to kind of uh, a lot of the traditional kind of manual labour. There's, there's just a range. And um, I didn't want to be an establishment that only served one. It's taken a little while just to get the message across to say, you know, yeah, we care about nice coffee. We care about things that kind of aren't valued by everyone. Um, but ultimately, we're here to provide a great service to people that appreciate the art of coffee, nice food, somewhere relaxing to sit and work. But also it serves a great purpose whereby we've always got, alongside our professional baristas, we've always got between two and four young people 
who often, before they join us, haven't even drunk a cup of coffee, let alone are involved in the scene. And that's just a wonderful experience to say, kind of, you, we don't all need to turn out exactly the same at the end, but it's great for a young person that doesn't even know this is a job option to say, oh, wow, you know, just to have that, that their mind opened is just fa- fantastic. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for the coffee as well. No, no, if you want another coffee on your way out, just just grab one. I'll be bouncing off the walls if I have another one, but thank you. (laughs) Thank you for joining me on my passeggiata. It's been a real pleasure taking you on a walk around my neighbourhood and introducing you to a few of the people that have made my time here so special in Camberwell. La passeggiata is a ritual the Italians have always walked, and now Peroni invite you to walk with us. Now I encourage you to take up the ritual for yourself. Take the time to walk wherever you like, meet some fascinating locals, and enjoy what your neighbourhood surroundings have to offer. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share with your friends and subscribe to listen to others walking their passeggiata. Grazie. Ciao. For the facts, visit drinkaware.co.uk.